This is a Woodside Church podcast. Well, good morning, Woodside Church. It is great to be with you again this morning as we celebrate. It is Easter Sunday. We have good news to share and good news to celebrate today. I realise that we have much going on which uh, creates much concern and challenge. I'm not ignoring that, but what I am saying is today of all days we celebrate because Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think I just heard a few amens. I'm not sure how this works, but but I'm glad that you're with me. We, we want to remind one another of who Jesus is, but also what Jesus has done for each of us. We are actually continuing in a series which we've called Through the Eyes Of, and we've looked at different people who witnessed the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to continue the series, but today I want to do it slightly differently. I want to do it slightly differently. I want to look through the eyes of one of the early followers of Jesus uh, after his resurrection. And it's a, it's a guy called Paul. And Paul was one of the most prolific writers, if not the most prolific writer in the New Testament. And he has much enlightenment to bring to us, much insight. And I thought it would be interesting to look at the, the resurrection of Jesus, but rather than someone who witnessed it, but actually look through the eyes of someone who witnessed the effects of the resurrection straight after the event or soon after the event. And so in some respects, we can identify with Paul easier than we can identify with those that actually witness the death and resurrection. And so we're going to look at through the eyes of Paul, but obviously particularly focusing on Paul's perspective of the resurrection. So I'm looking at Philippians 3. Verse 10, I want to dive straight in. I want to allow God's word to bring this alive to us on this special, special day. Philippians uh, chapter 3, verse 10 says this, I want to know Christ. This is Paul writing. So this is Paul's perspective. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings. So it begins with, I want to know Christ. I want to know Jesus Christ and the power. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And then he takes a surprising turn. He says, and share in his sufferings. And so I want us to look at those two things, knowing Christ Jesus, knowing the power of the resurrection and sharing in his sufferings. Let's begin with knowing Jesus Christ. Let's unpack what Paul was really driving at and uh, understand his perspective through his eyes, understanding what this means for us today. What's helpful actually is a couple of verses before, verse 8, Paul expands a little bit more on what he means by knowing Jesus. He writes this in verse 8, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. He's saying, compared to everything else that I've known before, compared to who I was before, 
everything is nothing compared to who Jesus is and knowing who Jesus is. In fact, he says everything I knew before and was before, he used the word rubbish. He actually used more expressive words than that to say it's, it's nothing. It's like rubbish to me. He even listed in the verses before, and we haven't got time to go through it, but you may know this or you can read this at another time. He talked about how he'd come from uh, a particular tribe in Israel, one of the well-renowned and respected tribe. He was someone who observed the law very religiously, very well, actually. He even described himself as righteous according to the law. He was someone who had prestige. He was someone who had status and position. He was someone who was zealous for the ways of God. But actually that zealousness led him to a place of even persecuting the church in time before that we're looking at now. He was an impressive man. And Paul is saying, look, I was impressive, but this is nothing compared to knowing Jesus today. See, we can look, can't we, at our context. We can look at achievements that people may have. We can look at someone's performance or someone's accolades or their qualifications, maybe their career, maybe their house or the car they drive. And, and people can be impressed by those things. And Paul is saying they're nothing compared to knowing Jesus Christ. Now, this isn't Paul saying sort of with what we would describe sour grapes. He's not saying they're nothing because he doesn't know those things. He actually is someone who can claim that he was this, he was this, he was this, he was this. So this isn't a sort of sour grapes moment. This is Paul saying, look, this is who I was. In man's eyes, I was impressive. I was someone that others would have looked upon and said, man, I want to be like Paul. But Paul is saying, then he's saying they're, they're, it's not that they're wrong in of themselves. He's saying that compared to knowing Jesus, they are nothing. In fact, he said they're rubbish to try and illustrate the point. Even the things that we may list that, that are clearly important, things in our lives. Paul isn't saying that they're wrong necessarily, but he's saying that compared to knowing Jesus, they've got to be put in their perspective. And knowing Jesus is such a key theme, not only in these verses, but actually throughout the whole of the Bible. The Bible split into two sections, Old Testament and New Testament. Old Testament is before Jesus came. New Testament is the, begins with the four Gospels, talk about the story of Jesus, and then it unpacks the story of the early church. But actually, if we were to ask ourselves, what is the Bible about? I wonder what you would say. How would you summarise if someone spoke to you, even maybe now, I, I think people are asking many questions about all sorts of things. And one of the things people are asking questions I hear is questions about faith. So what would we say if someone said, well, what's the Bible all about? The answer is knowing Jesus. I've got a friend uh, called Lex Lazidis. It's someone that, that some of you may know as well. Lex is based in Cape Town in South Africa, one of the uh, leaders in one of our churches. In fact, Lex is an evangelist. He's a, he's a fun guy and uh, he is a great preacher. He knows the Bible really well. He's an excellent communicator. 
And I've seen him play this game with a whole group of leaders and pastors. And he said to them, give me any verse or any story in the Old Testament and I will preach Jesus from that story. And I've been in a room where there's hundreds of people and they're throwing out different verses and, you know, complex things in the Old Testament. And Lex is taking one after the other and skillfully, because he knows his stuff, skillfully seeing how they all point to one person in history. They point to Jesus. In fact, that's a great thing for us to, to do. Maybe in our groups this week, you may want to begin, almost have that bit of a game. Maybe that's the icebreaker or whatever you do in your community group, just to get things going. Just ask and mention different stories and verses and see how Jesus is represented in those verses. Now, I could mention many in the Old Testament of verses that speak directly to who Jesus is and point right to him. But let me give you one as an example. Think about the story of David and Goliath. This is one that probably many of us have heard many times, even people who aren't believers. Maybe you're, you're watching this now and you're, you're, you're someone who's inquiring or you're just interested to see what we're going to do on Easter Sunday. But even people who don't know God or have never been to church often know the story of David and Goliath. But what's the story of David and Goliath really about? It's a real story. It's something that really happened to a man called David. But what was going on at the time was an illustration, a, a representation of something so much bigger. Let me try and explain. So David uh, represented the people of God. He was chosen to fight this, this huge man called Goliath. And you had the people of Israel, the people of God, and the Philistines. And they were, they were like at, at war or, or, or a battle against one another. And the way uh, it was understood in Jewish thinking and in thinking of that day is one person would represent the whole of the people. And so they nominated David. But David was anointed by this time to be king, to be king of Israel. But actually, uh, what was happening is as David came to battle Goliath, he defeated Goliath. He defeated the enemy. And when he defeated Goliath, the battle between the people of Israel and the Philistines was over. Because what happens to the king? And this is the key point. What happens to the king happens to the people. So if you bring that to us, what happens to Jesus, the, the anointed one? What happens to him happens to our, to his people. So because Jesus has defeated Goliath, the enemy, he's defeated Satan, he's defeated sin, he's defeated death. Because he's done those things, we, those who place our trust in him as our king and as our Lord and our saviour, we have defeated those things. We can say that Jesus is alive and therefore we are alive. New life has begun in us and new life will continue in us for eternity. So, so there's an identification with Jesus as our anointed king. And that's why we celebrate today. It's because what Jesus has done, we have done, because we are those who are in him. We do get some sense of, of that in the way we talk about things, don't we? If we talk about our favourite football team, which I won't mention my football team, uh, but uh, choose your own. But basically, if your team wins... 
we begin to use expressions like, we have won. We have won the cup. That's never happened to my team. We have won the league. That's also never happened to my team. But if it did, one day it might do. Then I would say, we have won the league. We are the champions. So there would be this identification which what's happened to my football team would have happened to me. And it's like that, but so much more with Jesus. So the whole Bible is trying to say something to us. And Paul is underlying this for us. It's about knowing Christ Jesus. Knowing Christ Jesus. And this story actually flows nicely into the next part of Philippians 3 verse 10. That we would not only know Jesus, but in knowing him, we would know the power of his resurrection. Now we need to hear these words today. We need to hear the good news that is for all of us who know Jesus. If we know him, then we know the power of his resurrection. Now, this is talking about the future. Uh, It is talking about our eternal life with Jesus. But actually, what Paul is driving at here is he's more talking about the good news, not so much in the future. He's talking about the good news in the present, the good news today. It's that the risen saviour, Jesus, offers us hope today. There's power that Paul has in mind, power for living today, power for overcoming even the most difficult of obstacles today. Elsewhere, Paul writes in Philippians, he writes this, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. We need to know, and the Bible teaches, that the power of his resurrection is available for us now. Whatever we may face, whatever you're facing right at this moment. I know some of the family uh, have been affected by the coronavirus. Uh, That's while I was recording, fully aware of that. And there may be others by the time this is shown on Easter Sunday. But for those in that situation, and for all of us, we can be reassured today that we can know the power of the resurrected Jesus in our lives today. In fact, Paul elsewhere said this, he said the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us who believe. That means that we are people who pray for and believe that the kingdom of God breaks into our setting today. That's why we pray. We're praying that God would intervene, that God would bring life, would bring healing, would bring breakthrough into our situation today. And praise God, we know that he does. He answers our prayers. We know that there will be a day, one day, where there will be no sin and no sickness and no death. We long for that day. But right now, Paul says we can know the power of the resurrected Jesus breaking into our lives. That future breaking into our setting today. So we are going to be those people that believe, not just knowing Jesus, that intimate place, which is so important, but we also can know the power of 
the resurrected Jesus. But what about that last phrase? That we would share in suffering. It's a, it takes an interesting turn, doesn't it? You know, knowing Jesus, yes. Uh, knowing the power of the resurrection, yes. But then it's like knowing and sharing in suffering. I think there are many, probably many ways we could unpack this, but let me give you three that might help us, particularly at the moment. The first is this, and Paul's very much got this in mind, I believe, is the cost of being a believer. There is some suffering that's involved in being a believer. In fact, Paul has just listed all the things that he's achieved, and he said, look, they're rubbish compared to this. And so there's a cost, there's a giving up of other things, other things that we may like and enjoy in order to have something which is more valuable. Jesus illustrated this so brilliantly in Matthew 13, verse 44, when he said this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. You see, the treasure we have, knowing Jesus, is so much. It's, it's, it's worth so much. It's so valuable. Jesus illustrates it like it's the kingdom of heaven, knowing the kingdom of heaven, that we would give everything to buy the field that that treasure was in. I know when uh, many years ago, I think it's about 20 years ago, so it's a while back now, I remember when uh, I felt and Dawn and I chatted and, and, and just felt God was calling me to go from a career in business, which I loved and that things were going well in, uh, and I really enjoyed that, and God was calling me to lay that down in order to come and serve in the church. And I, I remember, remember the, the, the process of thinking, well, I, I've got to give this up, I've got to give that up. And I thought, okay, God, that's what, that's what you're saying. And so, so that's what, what we did, and we've never, never regretted it. I remember when Dawn's dad spoke to me about this decision, about moving away from a career, uh, in business to, to, to working for the church. I remember he very uh, openly came up to me. Now, Dawn's dad, his name's Bob, he's not, he, he's, uh, not a believer, uh, but he, he, he asks, he's a, he's a really good guy, and he asked some great questions. And one of the questions he said to me, he said, well, how, well, how are you going to get paid? How, how does this work? It was a genuine question. He's probably thinking, I just want to keep, keep an eye on my daughter and my grandchildren. And I explained how that actually many Christians give very generously. In fact, many Christians give 10% of their, their, their earnings and, uh, and make a commitment to that. They, they, they believe in, in what God has done so much for them that, that they, are, they are caught up and, and, and willingly commit to that. I mean, he was uh, reassured and amazed at the same time, I think. But you see, that's what Paul is trying to say, that, that when you're a believer, there's a cost, there's a suffering. And that, that uh, works out in many ways, but the treasure, as Jesus says, is worth so much that who wouldn't be willing to give their all for such a price? That would be the first one on suffering. The second one would be this, is that persecution and ridicule, sadly, is real for many believers. It may become increasingly real for us one day in this nation, but certainly in other nations of the world, that's what people face on a regular basis. 
And so Paul is saying there is suffering. There is suffering for the gospel that can come your way. And there's the third area in terms of how we share in suffering, and that is this, that the suffering that we experience, that we all experience actually, is because we live in a fallen world. See, it's at these times often we find that we know God most intimately when we find that, like we are today, that we are faced with something that is really uh, concerning everyone. And we need to understand what's going on. Because when Adam sinned, when sin entered the world, it, it affected the whole of humankind, yes, but it actually affected the whole of creation. And so when we hear about tragic events like earthquakes and tsunamis, or we hear about illnesses, whether it's cancer or coronavirus, these are all an effect of the fall of humankind that we read about in Genesis. There is like a fallout. There, there's, there, there's an impact. When sin entered the world, it changed everything. What God had planned, this perfect, harmonious place of peace in relationship with humankind and God, that was broken. And so that's affected everything. And that's why we have things like we face today. Now, there may be other things that God would say to us, and that's probably too soon to to get God's perspective on what's happening around the world. But what we do know is this is a part of being in a fallen world. It's a little bit like if you've ever done an Excel spreadsheet. I don't know if this will help you. It helps me. Uh, but if you do like an equation, and if you put an error in part of the, the equation, that actually that error is repeated across the equation because there's something early on in the process that was entered and now you've got errors throughout the equation. It's a bit like that with the fall. There was an error, sin entered. And so there's an error in the whole of the human equation. The great news is, is that's why Jesus came to the cross. That's why he came. He came to redeem his people. He came to to defeat death, yes, defeat sin, defeat the enemy. But in that, he also took on the wrath of God. And so in the death and the resurrection, we see this amazing combination of God's wrath and God's love kissing. And for those who know Jesus, we know the power of his resurrection, but we also share in suffering and we know him in the midst of those moments of suffering. So today we can be asking ourselves the question, why doesn't God intervene? And that should be our prayer. Our prayer should be kingdom come now. That's what Jesus taught us to do. And we have numbers of stories, even in my life, when I was very poorly five years ago, I know that God broke in and he healed me and he saved me and restored me to health. And we must pray that God intervenes. But also we mustn't forget that the greatest intervention that ever occurred and had to occur was when Jesus came, he died on the cross, and on the third day he rose again. Because that means our greatest enemy, death itself, 
is no longer our enemy. Because as Paul put it, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I go and be with him. So today, on this Easter Sunday, I just want to ask a couple of questions. The first one would be this. Do you know Christ? Do you know Jesus Christ? Paul in verse 8, which we read earlier on, he talked about about my Jesus Christ or, or knowing my Lord. There's a personal aspect to this. This isn't about reading about someone in the book. This is a relationship. Christianity isn't about a list of rules. It's about a love relationship with a God who knows us and loves us just as we are. So do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know him? And secondly, do you know and do I know, fully know, the power of the resurrection? Power for living today. Power for overcoming difficulties today. Because that's what Paul is talking about. He's, he's looking at Easter, the Easter weekend, and he's saying this is what we can know today. Jesus is alive. And that means even if we face challenging times, if we suffer, we don't suffer it alone because we have the resurrected power of Jesus with us. So this Easter, I pray that we would all know Jesus. I particularly pray that if you don't know Jesus, then take a moment after this message, just find a quiet place and just ask him to come into your life. Ask him to be your saviour. Satan, I've done with trusting me, I want to trust you. Ask for him to come and bring new life into your life. And say to him that you're sorry for the things you've done wrong. And say to him that you want to turn away from those things. You want to go away from that direction of leading your own life. You want to now follow him and follow his plans for you. I'll be honest with you, it means, it means giving up some things. It means giving up some freedom and saying, saying, I want to trust you because actually your ways are better than my ways. I would encourage you to do that. But also, if you, like me today, and maybe all of us today, we all need to know the resurrected power of Jesus in our lives. I pray that we would know that. I pray we would know his strength, his peace, his presence. I pray that we would know his healing power in our lives. So God would intervene today in our setting. We celebrate today because this is a great day. Over 2,000 years ago, God intervened into the whole of human history. When Jesus came, he died, but then he rose again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Woodside Church and anyone else who's uh, listening and watching today, I, I pray God's blessing on you. I pray that you know Jesus today. Wherever you find yourselves, whatever's going on in your life, just know him and you will find that he is enough. God bless you. See you next Sunday, I trust. Have a great week. See you then. Goodbye. You've been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.